back to another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and as always, this program is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. Today I'm going to do a review of a book that I've read a couple times in the past year. Uh, it's, I think, a really important book, and I'll tell you the title, and then I'm going to go back and discuss some of why I think this is an important topic before we actually do the book review itself. The book's title is called Why Expository Preaching by David Jackman. If you'd like to pick up a copy of this book, we have it on hand in our bookstore at christianresearcher.com. Just go over there and pick yourself up a copy. You will not regret it. Last year, one of the things I want to do for my personal benefit is to study the art of preaching more, to try to better improve my teaching and my study skills. Uh, teaching or preaching is not something we generally talk just a whole lot about. Whenever we talk about preaching, we typically talk about a uh, young man traveling with an older brother and learning from that older brother, and certainly that's a biblical concept, something that we learn. You know, a lot of what I've learned through the years has been through the instruction of my father, both by example and by direct teaching. I've been at a little bit more of an advantageous position than the average person since my father was a gospel preacher. But as I look around at congregational settings and congregational teachers, and I think about my own experience in some parts, there's a really strong need for training in the art of preaching or teaching on a congregational level. And so I, I want to set out and read some to try to find some helpful tools that I could recommend to people and give to them. And ultimately, my search led me to this book, Why Expository Preaching by David Jackman. I'll give you a little bit of background on why I feel like this is an important concept, especially the concept of expository preaching. First of all, I, th I think uh, to be fair and giving a general assessment, this isn't true in every case, but generally speaking, we haven't done a very good job of training our young men and our congregational teachers. I think a lot of times our training consists of basically Here's a Cruden's Concordance, here's a Vine's Expository Notes, maybe here's a Thayer, here's how you use these tools now. And go with God, God bless you, and try to figure out how you're going to use these tools. And so you set out on a journey trying to discover uh, by trial and error how to study the Bible, what style works for you. And there isn't a whole lot of specific direction of how to go about and how one style of teaching is better than another one or outweighs another one. I think we think in, when we talk about types of teaching or styles of teaching, it's all a matter of preference. It's kind of like going through a food buffet and you choose which type you like, what type you want, and leave the rest behind. One of the things I hear very commonly from congregational teachers and young men is that they, they confess that they've had very little, if any, training. And as a result of that, they f find themselves feeling somewhat insecure or doubting both their methods and their ability. And that results in timid at best or boring at worst teaching on a congregational level. And so not only is the individual suffering from a lack of training, but our congregations begin to suffer as well. And over time, if the level of teaching drops, then ultimately it's the church that's the one suffering and every individually 
member thereof. A lot of times, as a young man wanting to teach, you pick out your favorite teacher and you begin to imitate them. Uh, the older preachers used to call it aping another preacher. And that can be positive or it can be negative, depending on who the preacher is or the teacher is that you are mimicking. Because preachers have good qualities, sometimes preachers have negative qualities in how they preach, uh, how they study their Bible. And so it can be both positive and negative, but overall, I would just argue that it's not ideal. I'm not claiming to be an expert on these things. I'm telling you that I've been working and studying to try to improve my own teaching style, my own concept of why we preach, how we preach, what we should preach, all things along these lines. And I'm just set assessing and saying I feel like this is a an area of challenge that I have experienced, that others confide in me, that they experience. And so I'm wanting to find some helpful tools to help uh, work through these areas. I want to give a little bit of critique, and I hope this doesn't sound overly negative, because I think generally speaking we have pretty good congregational teachers, but this is an area where we can always improve. I think about, for instance, in the secular education field, if you're going to be a high school teacher, you're instructed that you have to go on for continuing education. Every so often you have to take classes that are going to help improve your teaching methods. Yet we don't have a lot of that type of opportunity or training that is recommended or implemented when it comes to our congregational teachers and even our preachers within the church. And so here's a few concepts that I would like you to consider as to why this is such an important topic. Uh, first of all, well, we know how to look up meaning of words as teachers and use a concordance, but do we know how to explain the passage where the word is found within its context and reason from that passage and then draw our applications from it rather than reading our own thoughts into it. There's a difference between exegesis, that is taking out of the passage what is in there, and eisegesis, which is reading our thoughts into the passage that is there. One of the common mistakes that you hear in congregational teaching is a brother making the right point from the wrong passage. It's not that he's taught something wrong, but it's just that the passage he has used to teach the point doesn't actually contain the thought that he is trying to teach. Another thing that comes up, number two, is we know stories, but we fail to understand the story of the Bible. That's coming from Brother Ron Quarter. He's often made that statement to me, and it's always kind of stood out in my mind. We know Bible stories, but we don't know the story of the Bible. And so I would challenge our congregational teachers to think about becoming a whole Bible student. Rather than knowing just a couple topics or a few words and how those relate within Scripture, or knowing one or two books of the Bible fairly well, are we focusing on becoming a whole Bible teacher? Do we have a well-rounded diet to where we are becoming Bible students and preachers of the whole word rather than just uh, having favorite topics or things that we, we like or other people like to hear about? Uh, number three, I uh, think about our typical teaching methods. These include doing both word studies and topical studies. I'd say those are the most common ways. And the, the thing I would like to ask you to think about is, is that how the Lord taught when he was on the earth? Was he presenting word studies or topical teaching? I could argue for topical teaching. Uh, but you think about the prophets and the apostles. How was it that they taught? We're going to talk more about that as we go along and discuss this book in particular. Number four, training usually focuses on speaking. Whenever we're talking about training young guys to become teachers, we focus a lot on just public speaking in general. And that's not really the qualification of the teacher. 
teachers have to be able to speak publicly. There are college classes for that, though. There's other venues that can teach that. Now, we need to provide opportunities for learning how to speak, but we have to get past the idea that a speaker is a teacher because that's not a true concept. We need to learn, first of all, and this is true for any Christian, how do we study God's Word? I believe we learn to do that in an expository type of manner, and when we teach, our teaching should reflect that Bible study. But number two, having learned how to exposit the scripture, then we need to learn how to communicate it. My point is, before a man can become a teacher, he needs to learn how to study and needs to learn what the Bible is so that when he wants to start speaking, he has something to say, and then he needs to work on refining how to say it. Another critique, a number five would be, we learn to avoid entire portions of Scripture. You know, there's some congregations where you will never hear the book of Revelation taught on. Uh, you might hear Revelation 1 through 3, or you may hear the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, but the meat, the bulk of the book, is never, ever touched. When was the last time you heard a sermon out of the book of Song of Solomon? How about a book out of Ecclesiastes? Now, I'm not talking about reading Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 and saying you've taught out of Ecclesiastes, but hearing the book expounded upon. How often do we teach from all portions of Scripture. This leads to a sixth critique. A lot of time, if you'll listen to congregational teachers, all their sermons start to sound alike. You realize that they have about five or six particular interests, and every sermon touches upon those interests in one way or another. It doesn't matter where they begin in the Bible, they always wind up in the same place. That's problematic. Uh, number seven, uh, I think one expository preaching falls on hard terms or deaf ears, people aren't real excited about it because of how it's been done poorly. And we'll talk some about that as we go along in this study as well. Uh, chapter studies, I think, are a poor design for expository teaching. Uh, chapters and verses are placed in the Bible so you can find your spot on a page. They shouldn't dictate how you read the Bible, how you study the Bible, how you break up your sermons. They're simply there to find your place on the page. Uh, chapter studies typically cover way too much material in too small of a time, and thus we have a very surface level, if, if we even have time to have a surface level, study of the passage. We should be able to understand the flow of thought within the passage and allow our teaching to follow the thought patterns and discuss it as it was written. Now, Putting those critiques aside, kind of giving you that background of why I feel like this is such an important topic, I want to talk to you about David Jackman's book, Why Expository Preaching. This is a really small book. It's like a four by six little pocket paperback book. It has 102 pages, contains four chapters, and then two appendices. I want to say up front, this is not a book or a manual on public speaking. If you want a good book on that, go read Batsel Baxter's book, Speaking for the Master. That's not what Jackman's book is about. Jackman's book is about why expository preaching, as is in the title. First chapter is about understanding the motiv motivation. In other words, why do we preach, and why is expository preaching a method that you should consider learning how to do? He critiques our culture, he critiques our congregations, he critiques uh, a lot of things that are imposed from a cultural mindset and effect from the congregation, so how is it, why is it that preachers preach? Why is it that we need to consider expository preaching? That's all tackled in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he talks about practicing the mess method, and he makes a strong case, I believe, one of the strongest I've ever read, for expository preaching. He defines that, he defines why it is that this is important, and I think makes just an overwhelming case of why 
Teachers need to think about systematically working through the Word of God. I want to put a little caveat here. Whenever he's talking about expository teaching, he's typically meaning consecutive working through a book or a systematic working through a book. That's true, and that's good. I think we need that. But I would encourage you to also think about when you're thinking topically, because you know sometimes we, we need to address specific topics. You have a, a you know, person walking off the street and they sit down in your audience and you would like to have something that would benefit both them and the congregation. So, for instance, maybe you want to talk about the plan of salvation. You want to talk about baptism. A great place to go. You could pick one of a number of passages. You could pick uh, an Acts 8, an Acts 2, an Acts 22. You could pick Romans chapter 6. There's a number of different passages you could choose to talk about baptism. Pick one passage and develop that in a textual manner. So, in other words, when you think topically, think textually. I think that would be very beneficial to your own studies and also to the growth of the congregation and those who hear. Number three, uh, chapter number three, I should say, he talks about embracing the whole Bible. In this chapter, he is surveying the scope of the Bible's teaching about teaching. He talks about the role of the Old Testament prophets, uh, the New Testament prophets and apostles, and of Jesus Christ himself, how they embraced the entirety of Scripture, how they worked intertextually and built off one another's work, while at the same time crying out for the authority of God in the message that they spoke. One of the very helpful things in chapter 3 is at the end of the chapter, he gives four basic steps for expository preaching. I love that because a lot of books you pick up on expository preaching have a list of like 25 or 40 things. I mean, it's, it's very exhausting to go through their list. and It feels overwhelming. You think, well, that might work in a seminary-type setting, an academic field, but is that real practical to hand a guy a book where you're trying to teach the basic parameters of how to teach the Bible, and you're telling this man you have to do 40 different steps in order to do this properly? He gives four basic steps that are more general, they're broad, but very helpful and much, much more practical than what you find in most books on expository preaching. In chapter 4, he talks about, he gives two examples of how to conduct an expository study. And I would say here that listen to his method, uh, not necessarily his message. That he makes some good points, but he's also off on some things, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the pros and cons aspect of this. The first appendix is providing a sermon that he preached. It's entitled, Good Lives Among the Pagans. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4-12, through 12, and he shows how to systematically walk through that passage and exposit the text within its context in a sermon type of a setting. That's pretty helpful. And then his second appendix is called Expositional Impostors, and it's actually written by Mike Gilbert Smith. And Mike Gilbert Smith walks through 12 false examples of expository preaching. I just want to read these titles to you. Most of them are self-explanatory. On one or two, I may make a few comments. But I just want to walk through 12 common mistakes that are made in expository preaching. Number one, he calls it the unfounded sermon. That is, the text is misunderstood, and thus the sermon that is preached is preached out of a text that does not teach the point that is made throughout the entirety of the sermon. G.K. Bill would call this making the right point from the wrong passage. Number two, he talks about the springboard sermon. The point of the text is ignored. The preacher goes to the text and he uses it to springboard or trampoline into whatever he wanted to talk about rather than what the passage was teaching contextually. Number three, you have the doctrinal sermon where the richness of the text is ignored for teaching about the part of the text that the person wants to focus on. For instance, it takes it doesn't take into account the literary genre and makes every 
sermon, for instance, a doctrinal sermon, rather than teaching poetry in the style that poetry was supposed to be taught, or the same with narratives. Number four, you have the shortcut sermon which the biblical text is barely mentioned. It's given lip service, but it's not really dealt with much at all, though the right point is made there. Fifth method is the Christless sermon. The sermon stops short of the Savior. In other words, it doesn't take into account the scheme of redemption and why this passage is included in the Bible and how it leads to the work and the mission of Christ. Number six is the exegetical sermon. The text remains unapplied. One of the things that we do need in expository preaching is good application. Sometimes that can be ignored. It doesn't. We need to show that it matters both what the text says and how it is to be used in the Christian life. Number seven is the irrelevant sermon. The text is applied to a different congregation. In other words, the sermon addresses problems in another congregation, not in the one where the sermon is being preached. Number eight is called the private sermon. The text is applied only to the preacher. It only takes into account his interest, his studies. It doesn't take into the benefit of the audience. Number nine is the hypocritical sermon, where the text is applied to everyone but the preacher. Uh, That sometimes happens. It's kind of embarrassing. Number ten, you have the misfit sermon. The point of the passage is misapplied to the present congregation. Number 11 is the passionless sermon. The point of the passage is spoken, it's not preached. In other words, there is no conviction behind it. And then number 12, the powerless sermon. The point of the passage is preached without prayer. Now it is that before you go and speak, you need to be fully convicted and pray about the matter. Those are 12 common pitfalls that he sees. I thought that was pretty helpful as a nice little appendix there in the back of the book. Now, I want to talk about the pros and cons, and we'll start out with the cons so that we can end on a positive note with the pros of the book. There are basically three cons to this book. First of all, David Jackman is from a Reformed background, and there are a few occasions, I would say rather rare in this, where his Reformed background comes to light. Uh, One particular stands out was he talked about the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit whenever you're studying the Word of God that's false. So he does have some Reformed baggage with him, but when you're talking about books on preaching, most of them are written by Reformed, and they have way more baggage than this. One of the reasons I really like this book is because it has very little baggage with it coming from a Reformed background. Number two. There's not much discussion in the book about the importance of structure within the passage and how to develop and discuss structure. I think that's something that could have been developed more. That leads us to our third point, and I think a con is the length of the book. Now, that's both a pro and a con. The pro side of having a short book is that it's short, and it's easy to read. People can get through it. The, The downside of that is that it's short and it doesn't have the opportunity or the space to discuss everything that needs to be discussed. And Having said that, this is not an end-all. It doesn't address every issue or answer every question that people might have. It doesn't expound upon everything that needs to be taught about expository preaching. This is merely an introduction to pique the interest, to show the need and the necessity of it, and to give some general parameters of how to start going about it. I think he could have spent more time developing the role of prophets, apostles, and preachers and their teaching example throughout the scriptures. He introduced those concepts and introduced some passages that show it. There just simply wasn't enough space and time to develop it fully. I think a good book that actually deals with that is called Preaching a Biblical Theology by Jason Meyer. I think that does a, a really good job of presenting a whole Bible view of the art of preaching. Okay, let's talk about the prose. I have uh, eight pros here, and then I have a final thought to leave with you. I really do like this book, and I think the pros way outweigh 
the the drawbacks of the book. I think this is really one of the best books on expository preaching that's out there, especially in a, a clear, concise manner. So number one, pro number one, is that it's short, concise, clear, to the point, and very powerful. He is very direct and powerfully argues his case for the need for expository preaching. Number two, he makes a strong case for why expository preaching should be a standard method within the church. At one point in chapter two, he asks the question, is expository preaching the only way? He says, no, but I'd like to stake a claim that it is the best way, the best method. Now, I would agree with that. I recognize there are different styles of preaching, and sometimes there are situations, like in a debate-type format, where you need to have more of a topical type of a sermon. But by and large, I do believe he's right that expository preaching needs to be the general method of teaching within the congregation, and he makes a very, very strong case for that. Number three, he addresses the shortcoming of many different preaching styles. You can note that in what we read through in the critiques of the appendix number two, but all throughout the writing he is critiquing, and sometimes quite sharply and pointedly. As I'm reading through this, I have to admit that uh, it stings me personally a little bit. That's one of the reasons I like it, because it gives correction where correction is needed. It gets to the point so that you can't miss it, and it allows you to draw some self-application, self-assessment of your teaching style. So get some thick skin on whenever you pick up the book and think critically about your own teaching. Number four, it addresses cultural trends and mindsets that affect the mindset within our congregation. Our community is all about felt needs preaching. In other words, here's what I think that I want to hear about. And whenever we're teaching, we have a tendency to ask, well, what do people want to hear about rather than what has God said in Scripture? What we should be wanting is God's word spoken and conforming my mind, my desires to his word rather than trying to make his word fit around my concepts and my wants and desires. This brings us to number five, and this is one of the main points that is driven home throughout the book that's really good. It places God within his proper context. And what I mean by that is God is the focus of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is not about man. It's about God first and primarily. Until we recognize that the Bible is the revelation of God rather than my self-help situation, we're going to continue to miss the purpose of all scripture that is presented to us. When we talk about God being in his proper context, it also helps show that God is the author of the text. And as the author of the text, he's the speaker, and what he says in every portion of it very much so matters. Number three, it shows that God and his word should be the basis of our sermon, the driving factor. We don't go to church to hear my thoughts or your thoughts. We go to church to hear God speak through his word. He has chosen to speak through men, but he has given the men his words that he wants spoken. Are we allowing God to speak? And then again, under this concept of placing God within his context, God and his word not only are the source of the sermon, but also the structure of the sermon. When we take a passage and we expound upon the passage as the passage is laid out by God himself, we are being faithful to expounding God's message in the way that God wanted it to be expounded. This places the responsibility of the preacher in the realm of speaking for God rather than trying to think up their own message for the people of God. Preaching and teaching is not about your ingenuity, your cleverness, your insightfulness. It's about 
having God's word heard and allowing God to speak to his people through the written word and the form of a messenger. Are we placing God within his proper context and the center of our worship, our study, the word of God? The sixth great benefit of this book is that four basic fourfold step approach to how to go about doing expository preaching as opposed to 20 or 40 different steps. I think that four-step method, though not exhaustive, maybe you could expand it to you know five or ten or something, but I really like the concise nature, the simplicity of that four-step approach. Number seven is not make, merely making a case for expository preaching. It's also critiquing alternative methods of teaching. And as I said earlier, get some thick skin on because it is going to cut deep and be very pointed at times to the styles of teaching that we engage in. Number eight, it introduces some key concepts that people need to keep under consideration. It introduces the concept of context, both near, remote, and canonical context. It introduces the subject of intertextuality, how one passage builds upon another, which brings to mind the concept of progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is such an important concept in being a whole Bible student, and yet one that gets neglected in part because we don't always strive to become whole Bible students, which leads to another aspect of the teaching that how does the New Testament interact with the Old Testament? If we believe in progressive revelation, then what is said in Genesis is not the end of the matter. We would expect the teaching of Genesis to come out throughout the remainder of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. We need to be reading early Bible writings in light of latter Bible writings. The New Testament use of the Old Testament, we could do a whole podcast on that sometime, maybe we need to. There's a ton of study material out there on that. I love talking about the New Testament use of the Old Testament because the New Testament is so chock full of Old Testament references. If we're going to truly exposit the New Testament, we're going to have to be a whole Bible student and know how to work properly between the the covenants. In short, I want to leave you with this thought. Jackman's book, Why Expository Preaching, gives the proper direction and instruction that teachers need to faithfully meet the task of edifying the church. He convicts, he instructs, he rebukes, he encourages, he gives a clear, straightforward, practical manner of teaching that needs to be implemented by all of our teachers on a congregational level for their own benefit and for the benefit of the church and primarily the glory of God by allowing God's message to be heard as is stated in his word. I appreciate you tuning in this week. It's been a little while since we've done an episode, but we're back on the bump. Very thankful to have you on board, and we invite you to come back in. listen, Join us for another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. If you have any questions about today's episode, anything you want to discuss, you can write us at, at christianresearcher at gmail.com. If you have any book suggestions that you would like some thoughts on or recommend reading, you can contact us about that as well. Thanks, have a great day, and God bless. Oh, the praise is yours alone, you're worthy, worthy of all. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty to save. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty always. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty to save.